Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Dr. Donna Hicks is an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. As a conflict resolution specialist, she has facilitated diplomatic efforts in the Middle East and other high-conflict regions and conducted numerous training seminars worldwide. She's the author of book we'll be discussing here today, Leading with Dignity, published by Yale University Press. Donna, welcome to AMA Edgewise. Oh, thank you. Very happy to be here. This is interesting. A leadership book with dignity in the title. Uh, sort of a horse of a different color. We interview any number of people with their theories of leadership and culture and whatnot, but dignity, I can't remember it being in the title. What's your definition of dignity, and how does something like that differ from, let's say, respect? Yes, well, dignity and respect are two different things, and I'll tell you how I arrived at this distinction. When I was doing my work in the international arena, we were trying to bring parties together for dialogues, people would be constantly saying, we demand respect. We demand respect. I mean, it's a mantra that you hear no matter where the conflict is in the world. And what I realized was that they were demanding something that was impossible. So I started thinking about the difference between dignity and respect, and I realized that dignity is something that every single one of us is born with. We just enter the world with dignity, and the simple definition is that it's our inherent value and worth. And when people say, I demand respect, I think what they really want to be saying is, please treat me like a human being. Mm -hmm. Please treat me as if I'm a person with value and worth. And so when I would say to the parties in conference, look, you're using the wrong word. What you want to tell the other side is to treat you as a human being, treat you with dignity. You know, it kind of took them aback because I believe that respect is something someone bestows on you. Mm -hmm. Dignity is something that's inborn in us. Mm -hmm. But respect, not other people bestow that upon you, and it has to be earned. So I think it's a huge problem that everybody makes the statement, oh, we need to treat people with dignity and respect, as if it were all one word. It's not. They're very different. And if we could get to the point where we treated each other with dignity in this world, we'd see far fewer conflicts, I promise you. Okay, fair enough. So given that understanding, what does it mean to treat someone with dignity? That's a good follow-up because what it means and what it looks like was the reason why I wrote my first book, which is just about dignity, because I realized that everybody wanted to be treated with dignity, but nobody really knew what that looked like. So I came up with, in my research, and I interviewed people from all over the world, and I came up with 10 ways in which we can honor people's dignity. And this is what everyone, no matter whether you're from Asia, Africa, North America, South America, everyone wanted these same things. And first of all, they wanted their identity to be accepted no matter who they are, no matter their race, their religion, their ethnicity, gender. Everybody wants to be treated equally and as if they're worthy of having their dignity honored. People want acknowledgement when they suffer an indignity. People want to be treated fairly. People want recognition for their unique qualities and way of life. They want to be understood. They want safety. And this is a big one, and I'm not just talking about physical safety, but people want to feel safe to speak up when something bad happens to them. They want to feel psychologically free from being humiliated by people. And, you know, people want to be given the benefit of the doubt. They want to 
be apologized to finally when something bad happens to them. And this is what it looks like, and this is why I decided that you know, we really had to unpack this dignity concept and show people, all right, this is it, you know, treat people equally no matter their race, be fair, be open to understanding someone. All these things are behaviors that people feel good about when other people treat them with dignity. One of those other people could be a team leader or a mid-level or senior level executive. Yeah. And it would strike me that it's it's all too easy for a leader to violate a person's dignity or to damage a person's dignity. Yeah. How, can, how can leaders avoid that type of issue? I have to say that I've worked with hundreds and, you know, if not more than that, hundreds of people who are in leadership positions. And I'm talking about really good, decent people. And even people with good intentions can harm others if they're not aware of this concept of dignity and how vulnerable all of us are to having that dignity violated. So this is not something that this is like a bad person. This is just somebody who hasn't educated himself or herself in what the benefits are of honoring people's dignity. And the clear benefit is that when people in a workplace feel that their leadership their supervisors, their managers are treating them well, they react in a very positive way. They feel they're ready to give discretionary energy. They're more engaged. They're more loyal to the organization. And so it's really a no-brainer for a leadership team to want to learn how to treat people with dignity. And that's the other thing, Dave. They do need to learn it because it's not something that comes naturally. Mm-hmm. So even though we're all born with dignity, every one of us has inherent value and worth that we're not born knowing how to act like it. So we do need dignity education. Now, in the book, you mentioned that one of the essential skills in leading with dignity is the ability to what you term go to the balcony or going to the balcony, that concept. And okay, what is that exactly? And, and how does it work in practice? Well, in practice, let's say you're in a leadership position and you are dealing with a difficult person, let's say, or a difficult issue at work, and it's really an emotionally charged issue, and you feel yourself getting heated up and you feel yourself wanting to lash out at the other person, what happens is those primal instincts take over us when we feel that our dignity has been threatened. So when somebody gets all emotionally churned up and has a bad experience with another person, you don't want to react from that. You don't want to react from that sort of instinctive, I want to get even, I want to lash back at the person. What you do is you have to push the pause button. You have to take a few breaths, and I always say, find the balcony, go up, you know, just metaphorically think of yourself crawling up on a balcony and looking over yourself having this really difficult, challenging discussion with this person, and you make a decision. Do I want to end up violating that person's dignity, returning the violation, or do I want to act responsibly and disagree with this person in a dignified way so that I don't return the harm, so I don't take the bait and let that person determine how I'm going to act? So getting on the balcony is a sort of metaphorical way of thinking about pushing the pause button, not reacting in those volatile situations. I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening has had that experience where you just find yourself lashing back, and then you step back and say, oh, my goodness, what have I just done? But finding the balcony is a really effective way in your mind to take yourself out of the immediacy of that desire to lash back. In addition to what you've already talked about here today, are there any other 
I don't know, skills or, or attributes that define leading with dignity that you'd feel comfortable sharing with us here now? Sure. I think the most important thing to try to communicate here today is that these dignity skills are not something that we naturally are good at. These are things that have to be practiced. They have to be learned. So, for example, if you're in a leadership position, and let's just say you make a mistake, our instincts want us to not take responsibility for that mistake. We have instincts that want us to cover up, want us to save face. Nobody likes admitting that you know, he or she has made a mistake. But if you want to lead with dignity, you have to take responsibility. That is one of the key concepts here. How do you put your default reaction, which is to try to save face and cover up, how do you stop that and take a deep breath and say, look, you know, I did make a mistake here. Take responsibility for it. Apologize for the harm that you've done and move on because there's nothing that makes a work environment more dysfunctional than having people feel that sense of resentment and that anger and that disgust, frankly, when a leader tries to cover up a mistake that everybody knows he or she has made. The subtitle of the book is How to Create a Culture That Brings Out the Best in People. Culture is kind of an ephemeral thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the air you breathe. It's the water you can drink. It's the fish tank you swim in, whatever. You can't really create a culture through edict. You can't really create a culture through memo. Cultures are created by behavior and action and reaction. What are the signs that a workplace culture has a dignity problem? This is one of the most important aspects of leading with dignity because the culture is really a set of implicit norms that people agree that this is the way we're going to behave. And so if a leadership team behaves in a way that violates the dignity of their employees and nobody speaks about it, nobody speaks up about it, then that culture becomes a toxic culture. So what you want to do in that situation is, let's say we, the employees, are watching our leaders, and you just named it. You just said that a culture gets created by watching behaviors. Leaders are scrutinized every single step of the way, and we're always watching the behavior of our leaders. We're always taking our cues from the behavior of our leaders. And those implicit norms, especially if they're dignity violating, get absorbed by people. They think it's okay. You know, these trickle-down indignities really do create the toxicity in the culture. So you're so right that one of the things that has to happen is that, you know, you have to embody these dignity skills. You have to show people you set the tone as a leadership because setting the tone doesn't, like you said, doesn't happen through email or through declaration. The tone gets set by people watching what you're doing. And if you are honoring people's dignity, if you're making yourself vulnerable and taking responsibility for the mistakes you've made, then people are freed up to do exactly the same thing. So it is crucial that a leader walks the talk and actually embodies all of the concept of dignity. And, you know, nobody is perfect and everybody makes mistakes sometimes. So this is why I emphasize this issue about accepting responsibility for making mistakes. It's an enormous way of turning around a culture that has gone bad. What are your thoughts on the top-down approach to culture versus the sort of bottom-up approach? Can a, a lower-level manager or a middle manager have an impact on maybe a toxic organizational culture? Mm -hmm. 
a positive impact? I think it's very difficult for one person to turn a, a toxic culture around. I think it's a noble, noble effort. I argue in this book, Leading with Dignity, that what has to happen is that the dignity education, the dignity training, the dignity awareness has to come from the top. It has to be a top-down effort because I was asked in the beginning when I first started doing work in the corporate world, I was asked to go in and work with a middle manager and to try to resolve a conflict that was happening in his department. But that didn't work. I actually failed because... The problem was that many of the issues that the people were grappling with in this department were issues that came from the top, from the leadership's policies and procedures. So that's why I'm arguing very strongly that the mandate has to come from the top. The embodiment of it, as we just spoke about before, has to happen. People have to watch their leaders behaving in this way. And everyone in the organization, I argue, really needs an opportunity to become educated in all matters related to dignity. They have to have dignity training. So if everyone in the culture ends up sharing the same language, committing themselves to the same principles of dignity, then you'll see the culture shifting. But everybody is responsible for the culture of dignity, even though it might be initiated from the top. I say every single person in the organization is responsible for the dignity, not only his or her own dignity, but everyone else's dignity as well. And furthermore, the dignity of the organization, because that gets affected in a toxic culture. Mm -hmm. Is the concept of dignity different when you approach women leaders or the challenges that women leaders have to deal with? I thought that that might be the case because when I was working in the international field and working with these dignity issues, I was primarily working with men. And there were very few women key negotiators with whom I was working. So I had this sense in my mind, well, maybe this is something that women will take to more easily or have a deeper understanding of. But you know what? When I ended up going into many different organizations and different corporations, different workplaces, it really it really didn't show up that way. I thought that's the way it was going to be. But it turns out that everybody is vulnerable to having his or her dignity violated. Everyone feels this impact. Now, women may be more vocal about it. They may express their experiences of having their dignity violated, the hurtful harm. They may express it more. But when I interview men, I hear exactly the same stories. They just may not want to, for fear of looking vulnerable or feeling weak, they may not want to talk about it with their team members or with their direct reports or whatever they may be just less eager to expose themselves. But everybody, everybody, and I can say this happens every single time I do a consultation, everybody knows what it's like to have their dignity violated. And everybody is really eager to learn about, all right, what do I have to do if I want to be a leader who leads with dignity? So I've had some wonderful experiences with both men and women, and I, I just feel very happy about that because it kind of levels the playing field in my mind. We like to think here at the AMA, that we play a critical role in helping people who are new to management, people who aspire to leadership, get traction and support them and kind of the warm campfire that they can come and share stories with and learn from other people with experience. What's in this book for a new manager or an aspiring leader? Well, I think as you pointed out in the beginning, the idea that my insights about dignity came to me through a very different portal, you know, through international conflict. And 
I think what's unique in this book is this perspective of the importance of dignity not only to the well-being of a culture or, or to a leader's repertoire or to the employees of an organization. It's not just a workplace issue. This is a deeply, profoundly human issue. And it's an issue that's been virtually unexplored up to this point in the literature and in leadership. That's why I was compelled to write the book to begin with, because it wasn't talked about anywhere. And yet, everybody, everybody I speak with has a dignity story to tell about ways in which they've been treated badly or ways they've been treated well. It's just such a fundamental aspect of our humanity that if they can learn it, if they can educate themselves about how to actually treat each other with dignity, how to, how to even accept your own dignity, how to create a culture where people want to come to work, they want to feel engaged, they want to have the sense that they're doing something meaningful. This is the cutting edge. I mean, this is really, I've, I have found that the especially speaking all over to people, that this one client that I have in Boston said, look, you know, it's a highly competitive world out there now in the business community, and we're trying to figure out ways to attract the best talent that we can get because in this organization, this company had a wonderful product. Their product was the top of the line. There was no way of improving it. So their question was, how can we get and attract this talent if we've already done everything that we can to improve our product? And what they realized was that if they could create a work culture where people felt valued, people felt their sense of worth was being acknowledged, where people wanted to be engaged in the workplace, they wanted to be engaged in the mission of the company, in that kind of climate, these are different kinds of skills. These aren't technical skills that you learn. These are skills that you have to learn to understand what a human being wants, how human beings want to be treated. And it's, in my mind, it's really the cutting edge of the other side of the equation that the company needs, which is how to treat your people well so that everyone feels recognized, everyone feels valued. I can tell you there's all kinds of research that shows that when you do treat people well like this, I think I mentioned earlier, discretionary energy increases, engagement, loyalty, all of this. So to know this as a manager, to know this as a young leader, that what you want to do is to try to create that environment. And it is the most cost-effective way of doing business. Because not only when your employees are happy, let's say you have a company that sells a product like my client, they feel that if the employees are happy, they're going to treat their customers well as well. And that goes all the way down the supply chain, this treatment of people as if they mattered. And it's what everybody's yearning for. People want this. They want to feel like they matter in an organization. We've been speaking to Donna Hicks. She's the author of the book Leading with Dignity, How to Create a Culture That Brings Out the Best in People. Donna, this is fascinating stuff. Thanks for spending time with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Follow American Management Association on Twitter to learn more about upcoming free programs, the latest news, management insights, and special offers. You can follow us at A-M-A-N-E-T. That's A-M-A-N-E-T. Hope to tweet to you real soon.
take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 